This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. That's the only way to heaven, the blood of Jesus Christ, the new and the living way into heaven the blood of Jesus Christ, as opposed to the blood of Jesus Christ as the new and living way, as opposed to the old and dead way, because it doesn't get anywhere, that will not get a person into heaven, which is for a person to rely on his good works to get into heaven. That's the old and dead way of reliance on works, and it won't get a person to heaven. Many people are gonna come to Christ in the old and dead way, of relying on their works, and they're gonna find themselves cast into hell. That's the significance of Matthew 7.21. Matthew 7.21, when he said, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, in thy name have cast out devils, in thy name done many wonderful works. Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. Why were those many people cast into hell when they tried to get into heaven? Because they were coming to Christ by the old and dead way of relying on works. The works of prophesying in Jesus' name. The works of casting out devils in Jesus' name, the works of doing many wonderful works in Jesus' name. All that is the old and dead way of relying on reliance on works. And those people are cast into hell, and so will all people be cast into hell who try to get into heaven by that old and dead way. Those people said nothing, zero, about coming boldly into heaven with the blood of Jesus. That's the new and living way. Those people said nothing about coming to enter into heaven because Christ died for their sins. That's the new and living way. Those people said nothing about coming to Christ as their savior. 
That's the new and living way. Those people only talked about their own good works as the reason why they should be led into heaven. That's the old and dead way. And anyone who relies on works, their works to get into heaven is relying on the old and dead way and to get into heaven is dead because it won't get them in. This is what the scribes and the Pharisees were doing to make proselytes. This is what the rabbis are doing today to make proselytes, to get people thinking that they just have to come to God by this way, which is old and dead, of relying on works to get into heaven. This is what's all behind the works of putting on tefillin, saying the Hebrew prayers, and this is just the start of getting into those 613 laws of Judaism, which, by the way, each one of those blossoms out into many, many other applications to a myriad of applications, laws. It's so encompassing that you never arrive in Judaism. You never arrive at keeping all the laws because there's more and more and more presented. And that's what they do. They press the law. I just got a, a text just a couple of days ago from a rabbi friend, rabbi friend of mine. Oh, so much pressure. Just recently, I just got this from my rabbi friend who wrote to me, Tom, T-O-O-O-O-O-M. It's supposed to be Tom. It's from, it looks more like Tom. But anyways, Tom, he says, come back before it's too late. See Amos 11, days are coming. There will be a hunger, but not for bread or water. And to hear God's words. The Torah, one, two, three, four, five, six explanation points. The hurry, one, two, three, four, five explanation points. Back to the law, back to the Torah. I'm not telling you something that's theoretical. I'm telling you something that's active. They press the law. They never refer to the Bible. They only refer to the Torah and as I mentioned, the word Torah means law because for them, the word of God is the law, is the law. You must works, 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 works of the Sabbath, works of not to eat, works of what to wear, works of saying certain prayers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's Satan's strategy, and Jesus called it making a child of hell, making a child of hell. A child of hell relies on good works to get into heaven, and this is what Christ meant in verse 15 when he said, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you compass land, sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Those are biting words, very, very strong biting words to call, to say you make someone a child of hell, you make a person a child of hell, oh, Child of hell is a person relying on his good works. Child of hell is a person who's clinging to the old and dead way of law. And the scribes and Pharisees were loading onto people work after work after work to make new converts. And by the time they're finished, that person is clinging to the old and dead way and they've made him a child of hell. Twofold more the child of hell. Terrible words. So the scribes and Pharisees push people into the law, the old and dead way of reliance to get into heaven. The devil laughs. The devil thinks this is great, the devil says, as he makes more of things. But I don't want you to think that the Jewish scribes and Pharisees are the only ones who press people into the old and dead way of reliance on works. I remember one time when I was in Ethiopia and I was in the lobby of the Hilton Hotel in Addis Ababa. 
and there was a Catholic priest there, Catholic, he wasn't Jewish, he was Catholic, the other side of the coin. And he was all dressed up in just very, in those blue robes, and I don't remember, rope around his, boy, was he dressed like the cat's meow. And I looked at him and I thought to myself, now that's the statement that he is making there where he's saying, I'm not like the common people. Nobody else dressed like this. Oh, no, I'm better. And you all are below me. So I went up to him, tried to speak with him in English. He didn't speak English. To my surprise, he spoke French. And he came from France. So I thought, oh, well, that's nice. I'll get someone to speak French with. So I spoke French with him. And so in French, he told me how, no, no, in French, I told him how I was Jewish and and how I had put my faith in Jesus Christ. I told him all this, and I gave him my testimony a little bit, and he told me, he said to me, I remember he said to me, that's all very good. He said to me, that's all very good, but there's one thing seriously lacking in your life. I said, well, I wasn't aware of that. What is that, you know? He says, the sacraments. You're not keeping the Catholic sacraments. I needed to keep the Catholic sacraments, especially the mass in the Catholic church, and if I didn't do that, I couldn't go to heaven. He said, I thought to myself, boy, this guy reminds me of the guy at the x-ray belt in the LA airport. He's, he's got the sacraments, this one's got the tefillin. So anyway, and again, pressing the you must do, you must do. Pressing the law, that's half of what the, the rabbis and proselytes do to make a person a child of hell. Pushing people into the old and dead way of reliance on works. It's half. There's another half. And the other half is, Verse 13, verse 13, you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. That word, that is the word for nourish, nourish. They nourish the prejudice against Jesus Christ. That goes back to why the Jesus Christ is not discussed in the synagogues. They nourish a prejudice against Jesus Christ. They block the new and living way of coming to God boldly with the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's how the work is completed here in verse 15, verse 15, you make him twofold more the child of hell. Now, at this time when they were making proselytes, there were two types of proselytes which were made at that time. And if the person was going to commit to all the laws of the Judaism there and want to do that, that was called a proselyte of righteousness, a proselyte of righteousness. But on the other hand, there could be a proselyte, like a proselyte light, <laughs> proselyte light. In other words, not committing to all the laws of Judaism. I remember one time I talked to a, an Israeli man down by the, the, he lived down by the Dead Sea. Anyway, and he was telling to me about all you need to do. You don't need to do all those things. All you need to do and all the Gentiles need to do, rather, I'm sorry, all the Gentiles need to do is not all the laws of Judaism, but just seven laws, which they said are the laws of Noah, and that was called a proselyte of the gate proselyte of the gate. So you could either be a proselyte of righteousness, in other words, full in, you want the full, the full dose, or you can get the light dose, and especially the Gentiles, that's the seven laws of Judaism. So seven laws of Noah, seven laws of Now, the Lord calls in verse 16, very serious, he says, woe to you, you blind guides. And then he speaks about swearing, making oaths, when he talks about oaths, and he says here the difference between swearing by the gold of the temple or the temple. He says if somebody swears by the temple, psh, nothing. But the gold of the temple, now that's something, you know. And if you swear by the altar, that's nothing. But the gift that's on the altar, that's that. That's something very serious. 
Now, in Isaiah 9.16, Isaiah 9.16, it says, the leaders of this people cause them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed. That's what it says in Isaiah 9.16. The leaders of this people cause them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed. They, as you might may probably guess, I tangle, as you may know, I tangle with a lot of rabbis. And one of the things that I do tell the rabbis is that my friends, they're my friends, my rabbi friends, is that they are in deep, deep, serious trouble and they don't know it because they are leading people. They are leading people who are relying on them. They are guiding them. They're pressing them into the old and dead way with works. And the problem is, is that they're heaping up for themselves great condemnation. They have great responsibility, great condemnation. And these verses here are bringing this out because the rabbis are here with the gold on the temple and the very complicated, very complicated that they're saying, you gotta make an oath, but you can't swear by the temple, you gotta swear by the gold that's in the temple, and then you can't swear by the altar, you gotta swear by the, the gift that's on the altar. Very complicated and very distracting. And as the Lord Jesus said, the thing you should be centering on is justice and faith, and those are the important things. But by focusing people on just no, the gold, not the temple, and so when we read this as believers in Christ, we have other thoughts that come into our mind in verse 16. Because when it talks about the temple, we say, what is the temple? I remember, uh, it, well in my case, I, to go find God, I went to the temple. But Many people, when they wanna go find God, they think, I gotta go to the big church, I gotta go to the temple, and that's right, because the temple is God's house. The temple is God's house where they find God. Well, we have a temple, we have a temple. John 2.18, John 2.18, then answered the Jews and said unto Jesus, what sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, destroy this temple, and in three days will I raise it up. Then said the Jews, 40 and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. It's very interesting that Christ called his body the temple, a temple. And for Christ himself is our temple. He is our temple. Because just as people went to the temple to find God, we go to Christ as our temple to find God, and in the temple as they hope to find God, we in Christ find God, just as the people went to try to find God, because Christ is, John 1.1, John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In John 1.14, John 1.14 says, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we behold his glory. So. This is why we go to Christ, because we find God in Christ. And then it speaks about, then Christ was also speaking about the altar, the altar. What's the altar? The altar is a place where sacrifice was made. In the tabernacle, it was the brazen altar. It was the altar made out of brass. It was called the brazen altar. And that's where the animals were killed. That's where the blood was applied. But most importantly, that's where the animals were offered up as a burnt offering to God. So as just as Israelis were bringing their many sacrifices to the altar to offer to God, we have an altar. We have an altar where we, it says in Hebrews 13.10, Hebrews 13.10, 
we have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. For the body of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the camp. And the law is described in the book of Hebrews as just a shadow. It's a shadow, a shadow that's passing away. Hebrews 10.1, Hebrews 10.1, the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. Because if the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin, but in those sacrifices there is a remembrance, again, made of sins every year. It's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away our sins. I mean, this statement, it's not possible that the blood of goats and blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. But yet there were millions and millions of sacrifices made on those altars, and yet the Bible says it's not possible that the blood of the bulls and goats should take away sins. And how frustrating to keep coming time after time to offer these sacrifices for sins when the blood could not take away sins. I mean, can you imagine a couple of priests? Can you picture in your mind a couple of priests whose job it was to kill these animals and to offer them there on the sacrifices? It's a lot of hard work. Can you picture in your mind their bloods, their clothes splattered with blood doing this work day after day? And then maybe after two hours, they get 10 minute break, I don't know. And so they go down and they, and they, they go out someplace and they, they sit down and they start to discuss among themselves as they're sitting there. And one priest says to the other word, there's got to be an end of all these sacrifices. There's got to be a one sacrifice that will be the final one that we don't have to keep doing this over and over again that will be the final sacrifice to take away sins. That's exactly who Jesus Christ was. When the people stood beneath the cross of Jesus and they watched Jesus Christ with the temple on the other side in front of him, but they watched him die on the cross, they were watching that one final ultimate sacrifice, that John 129 sacrifice, John 129, behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. And you might as well say, which finally takes away the sin of the world after millions and millions, who knows how many, animals were sacrificed. And think about it, we have that final ultimate sacrifice that all the sacrifices before pointed to. There's gotta be an altar where that final effective sacrifice is made to take away sins. And Hebrews 13.10, Hebrews 13.10 says, we have that altar, we have an altar. Jesus Christ is our altar that we come to and we find in him that one sacrifice that takes away sins. Because Hebrews 9.27, Hebrews 9.27 says, as it is appointed, and the most important word in this verse is the word once, as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. See, it's the once that's so important. We die once, it's appointed unto men once to die, so Christ once 
made the offering to bear the sins of many. He is the once and for all. So we have an altar in Christ to take away the sins that has really two effects on us. The first effect, as we realize we have an altar, is it should make us really, really happy, really, really joyful. This is what David put about it. David said in Psalm 43, 4, Psalm 43, 4, then will I go unto the altar of God, unto God my exceeding joy, yea, upon the harp will I praise thee, O God, my God. He goes to the altar, and he's very happy. He goes on, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the help of my con, the help of my countenance and my God. In other words, David is talking to himself, and he says, why are you cast down? Why are you depressed? Why are you in the dumps? Why are you in the blues? Go to the altar. Go to the altar and get happy. Get happy. And sometimes our problems in life become just so overwhelming and we just feel rotten inside. We feel depressed. We feel sad. And that's where Psalm 43, 4 and 5 come in because it tells us what to do, how to get out of the cave of despair. Meditate on the cross as the altar where all our sins were taken away. Think about all those millions of animals that could not take away sin, and we have an altar. Meditate on the fact that our spiritual hands have become clean. I mean, David, if there was ever a man whose hands were dirty, it was David. David had dirty hands from touching a wife that wasn't his. David had blood on his hands from killing her husband, Uriah. And David says in Psalm 26, 6, Psalm 26, 6, I'll wash mine hands in innocency, so will I compass thine altar, O Lord. After David's hands were so dirty from committing this adultery and murder, he had this blood on his hands. How could he wash his hands in innocency? Because David went to God's ultimate altar and found the cleansing from his sins. That's how you and I get that soul cleansing that we need. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, and so effective is the blood of Jesus. Now, the Lord now, in a very loving way, he turns to the Pharisees and he tells them what they gotta do. It's not all, there's no hope for you Pharisees and scribes, but he tells them how to get right with God in verse 26. Verse 26, he says, Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and the platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. This is very tender of the Lord, very kind of him. He's telling the Pharisees, you're focused on the wrong area. You're focused on the outward. Focus on the inward. Look at your heart. Come to God. Pray to God. Lord, cleanse my heart. Cleanse my heart. This is what he's saying to them. Now, and this is where we really want to end now with this picture of the Lord to his enemies, to those who are making twofold childs of hell. He's telling them the way out, the path out, the path of repentance. And that's also always so precious with the Lord. He just, when he went or started his ministry by saying, repent, he told how to, how to make the U-turns in life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful Savior is Jesus our Lord. In his name we pray, amen. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.